Welcome. Thank you for joining us again for another episode of Deer Talk. Now, you guys are going to look at this set, and you're going to think, man, you guys really upgraded, huh? <laughs> no, we didn't. Um, we are um, actually filming this right smack dab in the middle of America, middle of Nebraska, in Grand Island, Nebraska, at the Hornady uh, Manufacturing Plant. You guys are going to see some TV episodes that you're not going to believe. But before we get started, I'm going to introduce my friend Neil here in a second. Um, all we ask you to do, like subscribe, share, download, whatever you're doing with this podcast, however you're consuming it. Number one, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Um, it's in the top 5% of all uh, outdoor deer hunting related podcasts. We can't do anything but thank you guys because what we're doing is bringing it real. We got Neil Davies here. Neil, I've known you for a long time. You've been with Hornady for going on like 18 years. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having us here. This place is incredible. Oh, I'm really happy you guys made it. Um, and you're seeing us going through even more expansion now as the market just continues to grow and our, our presence is is also growing. So you're, you're seeing a lot of things here today, especially out here where you are uh, at this newer facility to see what's been going the on. The facility is awesome. I want to talk about that. But, okay, so I want to get to – I always relate these podcasts to my buddies at home. Yeah. And um, a lot of them, I've known one since kindergarten. I've known one since uh, uh, sophomore year in high school. And the number one question that you're still getting, I'm sure, is why can't I get XYZ caliber? Hmm. Is it still a supply chain issue? What's uh, or is is that kind of subsiding? No. Well, a lot of it has subsided. I mean, during the during the pandemic and following the pandemic, were <laughs> were riots and a lot of people gotten engaged with the industry i mean you know the second amendment was realized by a whole lot of new people at that point in time so we i think if my math's right over the from whenever the pandemic began to somewhere around now we've added 20 million something new people into the market the people that were added and the and and not just them but the folks that were maybe just a casual deer hunter or were a duck hunter or something like that. Everybody that existed before, if they didn't own a personal protection firearm, they went out and bought one. Plus all these new folks. Well, those guns are that you know a magazine for an AR style rifle, thirty rounds. Then you're going to go through that pretty quickly. Same thing for a handgun. Most handguns are going to be fifteen plus. Um, so nine millimeter, two, two, three, there was a run on anything having to go in an AR MSR type platform and any of the personal protection guns and people weren't just buying the normal amount of ammo. Yep. So, and, and we'd ask people these questions, they, they do the same thing what you're asking, you know, Hey, how come I can't get any ammo? Um, and we try to explain to them, well, you can understand why you can't get toilet paper for some reason, yep. but, but the same is not is happening with ammo. So people that normally would buy a box or two to go to the range for the day now want to buy at least 10 boxes, at least a case, if not a thousand rounds. That was the magic number, a thousand. So, you know, if, if everybody in the, in the, in the consumption of ammunition was doing the same thing, now you can understand why ammunition Absolutely. was so hard to get a hold of. And all companies, we, we don't have a spare ammo factory just sitting there idle. That would make no economic financial sense. Just like people don't have a spare house in case their other house burns down, right? I right. mean, you just don't. Most people don't anyway. But um, so that was the case. So people wanted everybody to ramp up production, and we certainly did. Uh, the numbers that we produced in order to meet that demand were 
extremely high while still maintaining quality control um, that we're known for. We did limit the number of SKUs, and that's that goes back to your original question. So the way it works in production is, you know, you're making bullets that are a certain length, basically, right? So you can make 270 130s, you can make 30 uh, uh, caliber 150s, let's say. That machine makes that length of bullet. You can change the caliber and all these things. Um, then little bullets like 17s and little 22 WMR, or uh, yeah, little 22 mag bullets, those are made on different presses. 223s uh, made on a different press, and then handgun bullets made on a totally different press. So you're, you're limited on the number of products you can make with a certain press. So what we had to do was still produce 30-06, still produce 270, still produce 25-06, whatever the case might be. But maybe some of the products that weren't always in as much demand didn't get made as often. We limited the SKUs. Reason being, when you go to do a changeover, so you're running ammunition or running bullets, that press is making stuff that shot, it tested well. We do periodic tests to make sure it's still meeting accuracy requirements and still meeting pressure and velocity and ammo and all the other tests that we do. So as soon as you stop making that, now you got to retool and now it's got to go get reshot to make sure that it's working right. So you could be down for an extended period of time because unlike a lot of other manufacturing companies where you're making a widget, right? You're making this packaging. You make it to a certain size, good to go. Let's do it. It's, it's, it's fine. We have to make it to a certain size. Then it has to meet the stringent requirements. Which are insane accuracy. that I've yeah. just found out. So, I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. So, hence the reason why we did a limitation on SKUs. So, if you wanted 30-06, you know what? You could probably get plenty of Precision Hunter and one or two other, you know, brands maybe, sub-brands, but maybe not some other stuff that was a little more obscure or bullet weights that were obscure in a certain cartridge. Um, so, fast forward to where we are now, the market has grown exponentially. Personal protection stuff has slowed up quite a bit. The, the, the crazy demand has subsided. If people want 9mm and 223, which, by the way, America is a 9mm and 223 nation. That, so you should have those two. You should have firearms chambered in those two cartridges if you don't already. Because everybody you know has ammunition for them. Um, anyway, so we, the industry is kind of caught up on that. Now the, the focus is on hunting ammo. And the, the, other, the other thing that plays into the demand aspect here is that things have changed in our mindset for a lot of people on the hunting side as well. Typically, and Dan, you know, you and I have been around a long time, and, you know, I, I remember going to, um, what was it back then? Not Orschelands. It was, uh, anyway, um, let's say Orschelands. Uh, and you'd buy two boxes for rifle season, and you'd shoot a couple rounds just to make sure you're on paper. You'd go hunting and you did your job right you'd shoot one shot and boom there you go deer season's over next year i still have one and a half boxes of ammo i don't need to buy any more well we have a lot of precision rifle games that are going on now so people are shooting nrl hunter people are shooting precision rifle series matches they might not be shooting 30-06 and 270 but they're shooting a lot of 6.5 a lot of six creed more and some of the you know but let's call them wildcat type cartridges which like a 6GT and 6-Dasher and things like that. But people are consuming ammo more so than they have before. Even the casual rifle deer hunter is probably going out and shooting his rifle a little bit more. And the interesting position that we find ourselves in now is that barrels 
rifle barrels are considered to be consumable at this point. I mean, you've got companies like Proof and um, Bartline Barrels that's out there making prefit barrels that if you have certain actions, you burn that barrel out, you spin a new barrel on it, and people are going through ammo like they haven't before, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, that's that's all part of it. Now, as a company, you know, the numbers, I, I don't know what we're allowed to share in public, but we have drastically increased our output um, in a big way. I, I, like I said, I don't know that I should share it, but it's it's a lot. And that's, so, that's kind of the case throughout the, the, the ammo industry, right? Certainly. I mean, yeah. all of our colleagues and friends that are doing the same thing, I mean, we're in cooperation with everybody. We we're certainly competing with other people for shelf space, but we're all in this together and we're all friends. We all work together on committees. We all have people in our companies that serve on boards together. And we're all interested in making sure that the consumer has product and is out there supporting wildlife conservation and the second amendment. So we're all together on a lot of that stuff, but you're right. I mean, everybody out there has worked very hard to increase capacity. So with that comes, you know, in our, in our, in our situation, it was, because I can't speak to the other folks, obviously, because I didn't work there, but you have to add people to the mix. So, you, again, like I said, you don't have a spare house just waiting around for your primary house to burn down. So there's not like an entire facility that's waiting to be turned on in case of ammo pandemic emergency. It's, it doesn't exist. Um, so... We had to add machinery. We had to add people all the while. You've got to train them. And, and some people start, you know, and maybe the job isn't for them or they aren't the people for us. And so and that it's hard, it's hard to get employees anywhere. That ebbs and flows. Yeah. And let's also face some of the facts back in the pandemic days. Well, people were getting paid not to work. Yeah. So that was a huge problem nationwide. And for us, we certainly had issues getting some raw materials in place. It wasn't everything you would think it would be. It was odd stuff like tape for packaging. It was, it, you know, you can't ship a box if you can't close the box. It's, it's little things like that. Lead, we did fine. We, we pre-bought, and it's an interesting inside story. We, we pre-bought, we what at the time, what seemed like way too much raw materials. <laughs> but, man, oddly enough, the pandemic hit, and our you know shelves were full of product i mean the market was in a definite slowdown at that point a little bit of the trump slump as we 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 called it um so we had plenty of inventory and we'd bought all this raw materials um like copper lead expensive raw materials anyway pandemic hit poof shelves were bare in a couple weeks or something like that matter of no time yeah i mean we ramped up production people worked more hours People from the front office were helping with shipping and working in packaging and doing whatever we could to try to get those those ammo orders out to folks. But again, unfortunately, people could understand why, you know, I guess maybe because they saw the glut happen on toilet paper, but they, for some reason, just couldn't rationalize the, the, why they couldn't get ammo when they wanted it. Because in the past, obviously, they could, just like you could get yep. toilet paper. Um, but when when you speak to an individual about their own purchasing habits and you question them okay so before the pandemic what did you do i bought two or three boxes and, and it lasted them for a couple of years and and you were never worried because <laughs> right. you could go back go to the back store and get another three well now that same person that it induces that it induced that panic buying where they still really needed the three but they bought 10 they bought 20 they bought whatever they could and then the other guy couldn't buy his three and that's what i've been telling people um, a couple of things i want to add 
to your conversation there was, um, and I've tried to explain this because I am in the know. Um, I've worked in the hunting industry for almost 29 years. Um, it's not as simply as you said, flipping on a light switch or I hear the thing, well, they should just build another plant because there's all this, there's all this, uh, demand. Well, um, it's like this, um, I raise chickens and I have eggs. And it's like I sell eggs to family and friends. Mm. I'm not going to go out and buy 300 laying hens because I know. And guess what? Today that the egg prices are 99 cents a dozen. We knew that was going to come down. And it was. I think it was probably the same thing with ammunition. It's like you're not going to go build a brand new plant to start making, you know, six five Creedmoors because within three or what, whenever this subsides, it's not going to be there. And then to your point, which I really want the listeners and viewers of this podcast understand this is no different than any other manual. You correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is a very simpleton's uh, analogy to what you just told me about. I have a buddy who is a, a deer butcher and he worked in the beef industry for years. He processed 3000 deer a year. He'd have a guy come in with a bear mm. and he'd say, guess what? He goes, that's, that's waiting until maybe Saturday or Sunday. And I oh. said, why? He said, we have to shut the place down. We have to completely clean it, disinfect it. And that's kind of with this ammo. You know, it's like if you have a problem, it's like, oh, we want to. And that's why I always said, well, why can't I get 410 shells for crying out loud? Mm-hmm. I can't find them anywhere because it's not the priority. And in business, you have to have priorities. And it's like you are obviously going to go to, a, you know, you've got a glut on 9 millimeter, You've got a glut on 223s, whatever it happens to be. The other stuff's going to be made, but in its due time. And I think... I'm going to spin this back to deer hunting, but we are seeing now, I can go to Fleet Farm and I can buy any uh, six, uh, sure. 308, uh, 6.5 cream where people are kind of hoarding that, I think, especially back by us. I don't know why, but um, uh, slugs, um, anything for, for deer hunters. And then um, also to Neil's point is that I've got family members that are still shooting the same box of ammo that they might have bought in 1985. I mean, yeah. you know, they've only killed maybe 10 or 12 deer, but there's 20 shells in that box, and they only need one shot to do it. So I think that sh- that sheds a lot of light on the situation. Um, but I should I should answer your original question. It's, we we kind of went down the, you know, like I. Or you're going to go the, rabbit hole. The typical with me podcast yeah, rabbit yeah. hole where I went way back in time. But we are certainly catching up on everything else at this point in time. A lot of those SKUs are starting to come into play. It takes a while to get them through the distribution network and then out to dealers or to the big box stores or whomever it is that carries them. And there's still a little hangover on people buying more than maybe they need, which then affects the next guy that comes into the store. Um, but so, but it is, are we catching up? You bet we are. Um, you talked about 6.5 Creedmoor. I don't, you, you've, you've chatted with Seth Swerzik quite a bit. I don't know if he shared, shed light on that, but I cannot tell you how many machines. I don't know, <laughs> but I can't tell you. We have so many machines running six five Creedmoor. Yeah, it is we, crazy. We, we make saw it this we make so much six five Creedmoor, but it is extremely popular. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by Traditions. As you probably know, two years ago they came out with the Nitro Fire in collaboration with Federal Premium and Hodgeton. The Fire Stick they shoot through those guns. This has really changed muzzleloading. It's made it more safer, more accurate. Check them out today at traditionsfirearms.com. You know, we, we harp on this. Um, I found out some really interesting insight. Let's start with that load. Um, basically, Hornady brought that to market, right? Yeah. And it's, it's not that long ago. I mean, we're looking at... Pro- 2007 for the 2008 
uh, sale season. Season. So yeah. that that load, um, without getting into the nitty gritty details, what was? And I know Seth uh, touched on that. What was the need or what was the desire for that load? And I'm not going to get into all the hate. Everybody hates it. I think it's because it's new and it's popular. But let just tell me as a whitetail hunter why that why that caliber. What what was unique about it, and why is it so popular? So it's a, it's a real fun story for me because I'm not 18 anymore. I'm a, I'm a few years older than that, but 18 year old me still thinks it's very fascinating that I was a fly on the wall for that whole process. So I got to you know see that see this cartridge get developed. Um, had we had a conversation with Steve Hornady, and he <laughs> Steve never. He rarely says yes to something on the first ask. So with the 6.5 Creedmoor, Dave Emery and I went in there and chatted with him about it and asked him if we could add this to the line. And he didn't say no. He didn't say yes. He just said, okay, which was basically, here, I'll give you the rope. You can either climb out of a hole or with it or hang yourself, yeah. one of the two. So so that was a – Steve made a very But what was the whole – I mean, why – what was the whole – what was the idea? Well, I'll give you the, the, the complete backstory. We were at Camp Perry uh, shooting the NRA, or no, not NRA, the CMP Games, uh, uh, Civilian Marksmanship Program. And one of our friends, Dennis DeMille, was there, who was the manager of Creedmoor Sports at the time. And Dennis is a, he's a retired Marine, shot at the Marine Corps marksmanship team for a number of years, and very accomplished guy. And he was shooting some of our products at the time. Now, he, he kind of specialized in the NRA side of it where you shoot, uh, you're not just shooting a service rifle, you can shoot a bolt gun. At that time, it was a Tub 2000. So Dave Emery, Joe Thielen, I'm there. I'm not a ballistician, nor am I an engineer. So those two guys did all the work on this thing. Um, Dennis DeMille and then Greg Kantorovich was there. He's the owner of Creedmoor Sports. And there was just a casual conversation about what would the ideal cartridge be for shooting what we call cross-the-course matches. So that's where you start at 200 standing. Uh, there's a sitting component, 300-yard uh, line as well. And then there's a 600-yard line as well. So it, it, it's across the course you're shooting. 246 on a competition. 236. Two, 236 two, on a competition field. Okay. Yeah. So you're looking for something typically with a high ballistic coefficient. So so Dennis kind of lined it all out. He'd want something that had a, a broad array of bullets. And this is you know, basically a back-and-forth academic conversation. Dennis being the guy that is the, the shooter, he's he's not necessarily concerned as much about the internal ballistics of the cartridge and how he gets to the point that he needs it to get to, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. So Dave Emery was our ballistician at the time. Joe Thielen is now assistant director of engineering, but then was the engineer over the cartridge case plant. And Joe shoots really well. Joe's, I don't know, he's like a savant. He shoots uh, PRS now really well. Hate him for it. But that's <laughs> <laughs> and Dave, Dave was, and Dave was a, he's a President's 100 shooter, so he's, he's, he's accomplished as well. But also just a phenomenal ballistician for us and led us down the road with so many great uh, products in his time. So I had this conversation, talked about what they, you know, back and forth, what would be good to have, what are some of the attributes you want, you know, ease of reloading, it's got to fit the 308 bolt face, that was one of them, um, and then again, 6.5 bullets, just typically known to be high BC bullets, you're trying not to have, you got to have that performance without a, 
overwhelming amount of recoil. And so it just kind of fits in that nice little niche package, which obviously the world has now um, accepted. So went back from Camp Perry, Dave and uh, Joe went to work. We had a cartridge that we'd worked on the 30 TC at the, before that. Um, there was a couple cartridges that kind of came from that base case, very similar to 308, let's say, but, but different. So 307 Winchester rim, change a lot of little little changes um so made the cartridge case dave came up with the load the other thing in the conversation was that we should print the the load the powder used and the charge weight on the box so originally that's what we did and we had a 140 grain yield or no not eld sorry amax at the time and a 120 amax the thought behind that is the 140s would be for the long line stuff shooting from 600 and the 120s are for the short stuff where you don't need to have the the crazy high BC that you get out of the 140. So uh, both had the load data printed on there. And the load for <laughs> inside story, I mean, the load for us, we're trying to achieve pressure and velocity. So it might change a half a grain, just depending on the lot of powder, but at least this way everybody had a starting place. So that's how it came to be. Um, the 260 Remington had been out, obviously, yep. before this. There's just a lot of differences between the two. Most of it has to do with cartridge case intrusion. The 260 bullet, the 260 uh, Remington's bullet sits way deeper in the cartridge case. As you'll see with the majority of the cartridges we've developed, the bullet is, is contained within the neck and maybe in the shoulder area. Not, there's not a lot of cartridge intrusion, and that gives us a lot better performance. Um, so cartridge came to be. Um, it started off with kind of a niche following there as far as this mat shooting world went. And there were still people started doing some of the sniper type competitions that started to gain momentum. And then uh, Ruger chambered it initially yeah. in hunting guns. So that was, a, that was a big one there when, when Ruger accepted it. And it was a Sammy cartridge. So Ruger accepted it and put it out there. And then That would have probably been – I'm sorry. That was probably not long after – Eight or nine. Okay. Yeah, eight or nine. So, like I said, we introed it in seven for the 2008 sales year. So, the catalog says 2008 on it, but we would have released it in the fall of 2007. So, yeah, Ruger came on board, and a lot of that had to do with a guy that used to work for us, Steve Johnson, who had a pretty good relationship with the uh, CEO of Ruger at the time, oddly enough, and uh, uh, Mike Pfeiffer. So, they, they chambered it, and they were kind of some of the first people to do it in that hunting configuration. But where it really started to gain momentum was, again, with these folks that were starting to shoot more field-style matches, not the sanctioned CMP and uh, NRA high-power matches. Now we're talking about guys getting together in pastures, shooting at steel targets at a variety of ranges and from different shooting field shooting positions and things. That would eventually become the Precision Rifle series that we know of today and also the NRL and things like that. They kind of That's how they all began. So some folks started chambering up guns for the 6.5 Creedmoor. And then the big one that really helped it out a lot was when Ruger uh, created the Ruger Precision Rifle. So now they made a quote-unquote sniper rifle that was about 1000 bucks, so it made it affordable for every man. And it was chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor. So that was a big one on the commercial side. But at this point now, you had a variety of people um, – that had 6.5 Creedmoor offerings in their in their guns. And now today, 
Everybody has. Everybody does. I mean, you, you still come out with the new gun offerings. You'd have it in a 308 and a 6.5 Creedmoor, maybe 7 odd 8, something like that. But you definitely have to have a 6.5 Creedmoor. And we, there's a very big rifle company that we work with from time to time. And I remember they told us um, it's a big commercial gun manufacturer. I, I'm not going to share their name because it's their proprietary information that they shared with us. But they sold more guns chambered in 6.5 Creedmoor yeah. than all other chamberings I combined. It. And it, it just, there's a lot of, sure, you're right. There's a lot of people out there that want to bash on it. And that, that's fine. I mean, to each your own. A, that's you can, if you can not knowing. Well, perhaps. I mean, you, <laughs> You know, some guys like blonde, some guys like brunette, whatever. You know, it's, it's what you care for. And if, if it's not your cup of tea, well, we make plenty of other cartridges, so that's fine too. Um, but there is a lot to like about it. It does many things very well. Big advantage is it, it, it's got, you know, a high uh, ballistic coefficient projectiles, minimal recoil, and in the whitetail woods, it's fantastic. It's, it's tough absolute. to beat. I mean, I don't know who – somebody told, said this to me, and I kind of – adopted it and it's it holds true by and large it's it, it's basically the 270 winchester in a short action rifle with better downrange performance that's about how i i, I describe it now i'm gonna i want to pick up right there and tell everybody how i became so this is this is me this is and i'm and my producers can attest to this i'm always late to the game I was late to game on these things. I was late to game on cell phones. <laughs> Everybody had a cell phone five years before I did. I said, yeah, I'll wait till and my, one of my first phones. I had a flip phone, but then I had an iPhone. Um, and this is how I got introduced to the 6.5 Creedmoor. I was an OT6 guy my whole life. My dad shot one. Uh, he shot the Remington Semi. I can't remember. Is it 742? Is that what it is? The the Remington Semi-Automatic uh, OT6. What's the pump? 7,600? 76 it was the pump, but yeah. I had the Semi. Kay. But anyways, I was an OT6 guy. Nope, that's what dad used. I'm only going to use that. So I, I start with deer and deer hunting. He like said 29 years ago this fall. And that's all I shot. But then... Um, Remington was one of our TV sponsors, okay. and they wanted to send me a new rifle, and it was a Model Seven. So, but this is now this is like this is like eight years after you guys came out with the, the round, and I said, everybody's talking about the six five Creedmoor. Can I have one in that? Well, we we uh, we called it the uh, overnight success that only took ten years. It only took ten <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah. So I shot that rifle, and th like I said, me just bumbling around, go to the range. It's the first time that I ever took ten rounds. And keyhole all of them mm. at 200 yards, and I'm like, I just said, well, number one, I was I was saying this rifle is the best. Well, the rifle was a nice rifle. It was that Model Seven they came out with, but um, I'm like, there's got to be something with this this round, and it, it was lighter. The recoil was less. And then I started shooting it, and then I I switched over where I'm shooting Mossbergs now. But to me, it's like, is it a night and day difference? Can I kill him with this? I can kill him with a slug. I can kill him with my muzzle. I kill him with my crossbows or whatever. Um, for me, it was like. The accuracy, uh, the speed obviously is extended my ranges, and and also the um, the recoil is nothing. And I've shot deer, not on a. I've shot like you said they were doing this standing, um, when they first were testing these things, yeah. and before is like, and now it's for, so that's how I was introduced to it. And I think a lot of people also, oh, this is something new. I want to try it, but now they are seeing what I think people don't understand that goes into it oh yeah this is just a the quality control that goes into these the, these these rounds is what's doing it because um and i'm sure it's with all the ammunition that's being made 
but there's something to it that is whitetail intuitive because that's not why they developed this. And that some of the reasons that you spun off there is longer range shots, flatter trajectories. I'm sure it's it's faster. All those things add up to. Oh, by the way, this is probably a good whitetail cartridge. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what took place. The you know the the, the 260 was a good cartridge. It, it yes, it's still around. People used it. Um, in America, most of the time, except for the seven millimeter rim mag, a lot of the metric cartridges just have, you know this is a 30 caliber country as people would always tell you and and by and large there's still a lot of 30s that are sold and i've used 30 out six 300 wind mag 300 piercy plenty of times so there's there's a there's a lot of good options out there some of the things that really helped with this cartridge was the way that the cartridge was designed in conjunction with the chamber um, I think uh, Seth Swerzik, our, our PR manager, puts it best when he says, you could chamber a chunk of rebar with our 6.5 Creedmoor reamer and put 6.5 Creedmoor ammo in it and shoot bug holes. Huh. So there's an interface between the chamber design and the cartridge that just starts those bullets out straight. That's a big one um, that, that helps with the overall performance of the cartridge. So if people are using the SAMI-designed cartridge reamers that, uh, you know, because we have to design the, the chamber dimensions and everything like that when we begin and do a SAMI intro, you'll get those kind of results. And that's probably a big part of it. You just see fantastic accuracy out of these things from you name the price point type firearm and it's going to shoot well. You're only paying, when you're, when you're buying that rifle, you're just paying for more ergonomics or, or eye appeal or brands that brand awareness that you, you want to pay for because typically they're just all going to shoot really well. This episode is also brought to you by Full Range Mounting Systems. These mounting systems are a great way to manage all of your mounts in a stylish and organized manner. We are using their pedestal mount here on the podcast set for two shoulder mounts, and it looks just awesome. Be sure to check out their mounting systems at fullrangesystems.com, and for 15% off your order, use code DTN. Okay, so let's transition to there because there's a lot of stuff I want to get to. Um, what I wanted to do, and this is uh, basically from the Deer and Deer Hunting readers. Everybody on Facebook, mostly, and Twitter have been sending me the questions, so I haven't forgotten you. Um, and we wanted to talk about, um, basically, it, it is, um, I don't want to say the in, the in, the in kids. That's one of the in kids. The other one of the in kids are these straight wall cartridges. We always yeah. talk about it. Um I know, I know the reasons, but I want to hear it from you, Neil, as far as what has driving now this new, it's not a fad because they've been around forever, but yeah. what's driving that interest in straight wall cartridges, especially for whitetail hunters? Yeah, we filmed a podcast on the 450 Bushmaster in particular. Oh, you're upside down. <laughs> we filmed they, a... they they, The guys listening to this can't, don't they even don't know. know. They don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so we, we filmed a podcast on the 450 Bushmaster and talked to Mitch Middlestad. He was, he's now our director of engineering, but he, he designed the cartridge, which is one of the original popularized straight walls in this new whitetail hunting arena. And it kind of just trotted along for a long time until states started to legalize some of these straight walls for hunting. Mostly like shotgun states, right? Yeah. yeah. So that really catapulted all these straight wall cartridges into the into this 
new arena at this point in time. There's been some other ones like uh, 35 Whalen in, in Louisiana, and I don't remember their rule, but like if the cartridge is over so many years old, you can use it in a traditional season what, what or something like that. What is the sense for that? I mean, what is the – do you know what the that, – that's something that just sticks out to me. What's the rationale? Like why couldn't I use – I mean, as far as ballistics – it's actually better than a shotgun slug, right? I mean, it's... Well, and easier to shoot, too. You don't have to load from the muzzle. Everything's breech-loaded and uh, smokeless powder. You don't have anything that's corrosive if you're not using any of the yeah. non-corrosive stuff. So there's definitely advantages. I mean, hence the reason why we shoot center-fire rifle cartridges right. instead of black powder stuff nowadays. But they're still trying to limit the... The effective distance that you have right, at right. your because of I suppose populations. I've always found it interesting though because during these deer seasons, you have to use these uh, uh, muzzle loaders or shotguns or straight wall cartridges. But when it's coyote hunting time, you can use whatever you, you want. You go out there with a two two three. Yeah, not, I, not a big deal, right? But um, yeah, interesting. What would you recommend for a guy or a gal? Um, who want, maybe wants to get into some of the, like, you know what? Yeah, I, I, I've been shooting a slug all this time, and um, I would like to maybe try one of these straight-wheel cartridges. What are, I know there's different there's different options. Sure. What would you recommend? I mean, I, I'm a fan of the 450 Bushmaster, uh, partly because it was invented here, but also I know that we make loads of it. So your chances of finding that ammo are going to be good. high. Yeah. 350 Legend has come on quite a bit, too. It has a little less recoil maybe than the 450, but it's, it's pretty negligible. Um, you can go to a shorter barrel gun. You don't have to have a big long lever action. Well, you know, and a lot of folks are using ARs in some places where they're legal to use. Uh, Ruger came out with a gun. I don't know if Mossberg has a 450. I'm not sure, I'd but I would to, assume they do. On that, yeah. Um, so yeah, that there's 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 several options, but I, you know, I would I would say 450 myself. That's what I would push folks to just simply because I know we make so much of that ammo. Some of those, I mean, I shot some uh, lever actions that I thought were really cool. And I'm like, oh, man, I love this. But it, it did give me a little pause because it's like, you know, am I going to be able to find the ammo for this? And um, is it going to be an issue down the road? I don't think so. But um, some very good options in distances. I mean, with a slug. Now, I, I've shot these slugs. We're going to talk about that next. I've shot these slugs um, pushing 150 yards, not sure. quite. Um, but the straight wall cartridge is a lot better performance than that, right? Yeah, I wouldn't be concerned about shooting to 300 with a wow. 450 Bushmaster. Nice. You know, just know your drop, know your trajectory. And have a nice optic on it. Yeah, have a good optic. Uh, know the conditions you're in, obviously, and make sure you're capable of making that shot. But the cartridge and bullet performance out to 300 would be fine. So, and that's a, one thing that I would like to always preface things to. We never promote the long range. If you're if you're a hundred yard person, this might actually improve you to 125, 150, very possibly easily with a little bit of practice. But just because I think can shoot 300, don't be popping at deer at 300 because the biggest thing is like I'm a bull hunter mostly. I mean, it's like now, okay, how am I gonna how am I gonna blood trail this thing? Yeah, right. So, okay, straight wall. So we went through Creedmoor. We went through straight wall. We know those are those are the cool kids right now. Um, actually, I'm going to skip forward to muzzleloading because I don't get to do a lot of it, but I really enjoy it. Sure. And when you guys came out with this new design, it was a couple of years ago. I want you to tell the listeners and viewers about it because this is a bullet. Basically, the way I look at it, I started muzzleloading uh, like 30 years ago. 
And we've started just with um, Sabos. And then, you know, then you got some some companies are sending you these uh, polymer tip bullets. I didn't know what why. Mm-hmm. So what's the design? I know you have the Board Driver FTX. Yep. Um, the new one's the Board Driver ELDX. ELDX is the yep. new one. This one I shot, and actually uh, for video versions of this uh, podcast, you guys are going to see it. Um, unbelievably accurate. And I was shooting it out of a... I'm not going to list the, oh, I, I can list it. It was, it was a CVA Acura, mm-hmm. a very nice gun, not a super high end. I mean, they make some super high end muzzle loaders, but that thing is like pinpoint accurate and I'm giving it to the bullet and the load, but why, what is the design behind this and why is it so deadly? Well, there's been, you know, muzzle loading projectiles are fairly straightforward in many regards the sabo was something you had to do because you got to seal the you got to seal the gases inside of the inside of the uh inside the barrel in order to keep that projectile getting propelled so this is not it might look like a sabo but it's not a sabo this is just basically a driver here that helps that's what we're talking you're talking about is that it's a polymer based skirt uh, skirt yeah on the it's bullet. a skirt now it has a post in the middle of it um that has some ridges on the on the on the shank itself it's pretty unique in that when that when that skirt, sorry, once that propellant gets ignited inside the inside the chamber of the muzzleloader, it starts to propel the whole projectile forward. The skirt obturates; it expands, right? So as that thing expands, it starts to contact the rifling and impart that spin that you need in order to stabilize the projectile as it leaves the bore. Um, that that post that's in there actually grabs a hold of the bullet as well, so it's not spinning around so that the the skirt doesn't just spin uh, around on the outside of the projectile so that post is 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 obturating a little bit too and expanding and grabbing the interior of that projectile and imparting that spin that way you're, you're getting all the usable energy you can onto the projectile to give it the performance you need downrange. some of the other features that were added to this so it's a it's a it's a bore diameter projectile, so it's a 50 caliber. If it's you know that's that, my, that was my question, so it's a 50 caliber. Yep. Okay. So now we use our flex tip technology in the tip. You talked about the tips before. So way back when, 2005, we introduced lever evolution ammunition. Yep. Now, if you think about it, you get a tubular magazine, so you can't put uh, spire points or you know any kind of tipped projectile in a tubular magazine because when you go and fire the the, the rifle, you're going to have uh, all those cartridges in the in the magazine and the and the tubular magazine moving. Well, a tipped bullet is going to act like a firing pin on the back of a primer and ignite the oh, cartridge man. in okay. front of it. Sure. So you can't do that. So Dave Emery, another this is another one of his advents. Um, and I'm going down another rabbit hole. The, the design actually came from trying to work this in pistol bullets at the time. Oh, really? So he couldn't get okay. it for pistol bullets, but he could get it for what he needed for these rifle bullets. So came out with flex tip technology and created the FTX bullet that we put in Lever Evolution, which is a soft polymer uh, tip. Its main design, uh, uh, the, the, the desire to do it was in order to not ignite the cartridge in front huh. of it in a tubular magazine. Okay. Subsequently, we discovered that that, soft material it acts a bit like a water balloon on the front of the bullet so imagine if you will you start putting your finger on a water balloon top bottom side what happens it starts to expand somewhere or everywhere maybe the opposite side so it opens or it helps to uh, to open those projectiles at lower velocity so it was a huge um, advancement in 
uh, terminal performance that we didn't. It was so that was actually you discovered that almost on accident. Yeah, we didn't we didn't design that thing for that purpose, but that's why you see that tip in so many of our projectiles that are typically launched at lower velocities. So now we we increase the max effective range or performance of these bullets because they will open at lower velocities. That was because from my understanding was that tip on the slugs, which I've been shooting for quite a long time, was to improve. Um, uh, pen, uh, expansion. Yeah, that's right. On a deer. Yeah, and that's what I, I I found out with the muzzle. Now I don't. I, I you'd have to tell me what the uh, the speeds and velocity or whatever uh, on the muzzleloader bullet. But on some muzzleloader bullets, when I shot them, it was like a pencil going in, pencil going out. This is back in the day. Mm-hmm. And um, now when I'm shooting these, it's pretty awesome performance. I and mean, that's why you've got that expansion that is aided by that tip. Now at 50 yards, 100 yards, they're all going to, you know, all of our products are going to work very similarly regardless of what tip you might have on there. But that tip does that for you. Um, it's also helped with the interlock band that's in there. That helps to keep the jacket and the core together. So if you did shoot one at 25 or 30 or archery ranges, you don't just have a grenade that goes off. You're going to have usable uh, pieces of Which bullet. Which would be bullet failure, right? I mean, like yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're right, I mean, that bullet you're going to have plenty of weight retention at those ranges, mm-hmm. but you're not going to have what you would have at 100 or 200 yards. Wow, no way. That's, that's fascinating. So that actually. I did not know about uh, number one. I didn't know how that po- why the post was on there and how it worked. Mm. So that that's a that's a benefit, um, guys. This is some heady stuff. You really um, you, you can listen to this podcast. Neil obviously knows this stuff backwards and forwards like the back of his hand. Just go to uh, hornady dot com, and they actually have uh, we've got videos at deerandeerhunting dot com. But hornady actually has f- for you gun geeks. And no offense, there's a lot of gun geeks. I, I love you all. But you can get – I have to absorb this stuff two or three times, uh, basically, to understand it. Uh, to hear Neil say it is a different thing. So that's going to transfer um, back now. Um, I'm just ch- checking. Uh, the last topic that I want to talk about, it's glove in hand with that muzzleloader bullet, are the slugs. I know it's similar, um, but tell us how um, – these are loaded in the American Whitetail family – but it's also a polymer-tipped slug, 20 and 12. I've been shooting the 20s for a television show. You guys have seen me lose my snot, as Steve would say. I don't know how many times on a deer. But how, what is, how did this shotgun slug come to be, and why is it so dependable? Yeah, that was another 2005 Gosh, advent. these all came along about yeah, the same about, time, didn't they? Yeah, many of them did. Um, so the original slugs were the... Um, SST slugs. Yep. So SST back then would have had a conventional polymer tip and not the flex tip material. But Jeremy Millard, who's the engineer that worked on that, he's kind of the guy we use for pretty much all of our shotgun stuff. He's got typecast into that role. But they had to work really, really diligently to try to create a shotgun slug that would be accurate. You, they're just, they're hard to make accurate because you've got to have certain components in there. Um, Again, is it rifled? Is it not rifled? Which 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 Doesn't platform it all are you to, using? I, I didn't mean to cut you up. Doesn't it also have to do with the bore tolerances of your particular gun? Yeah, that plays into it. And anything with the sabo or skirt, you're counting on that the gases behind it once you ignite your propellant to get that skirt or sabo to expand and then obturate and con- make contact with your rifling. So there's certainly differences. Most of that would be 
presumably in uh, maybe a, a change in velocity that you might achieve just because you'd have less or more pressure depending on the interaction between the skirt or the sabo and the, and the rifling. But so we originally started off with the, the conventional Delrin tips and um, at the time was, was the material that was used and then moved on into, into the newer technology with the, the flex tip material. So we started making more of those projectiles again with that flex tip stuff in the FTX line. And, uh, you know, we still do offer uh, some conventional stuff. So like this one right here, this is an interlock, uh, which is essentially the conventional cup and core style bullet without a tip. In fact, that's what's in the whole American Whitetail line. What we did here was we took a, a smattering of all the cartridges that are kind of relevant for whitetail hunting. And we offer you a bullet that will work uh, well under those typical conditions that somebody's going to have in the whitetail woods or fields. Because we all know it can be daunting when you, when you walk into a, a, a store and you see this broad array of oh, products yeah. and like, wow, what's good for this and what's good for that? And there's certain products that are marketed for elk hunting and there's certain products that are marketed for, you know, um, expeditions and whatnot. And so we, we took a look at our line and we selected some of the best that's out there that we made it simple for the consumer who's not as you said so eloquently again yeah, geek. Uh, white collar you know? redneck yep. mm -hmm. yeah you can just walk in there and make a pretty simple decision it's an economical price point uh it's tried and true the interlock bullet's been around for a long oh, time yeah, and absolutely. it's a fantastic projectile in fact i have a pre-64 uh winchester 270 that before i came to work here i could never get the thing to shoot on it was wrong with it and again, back to Steve Johnson, he said, listen, you need, to, you need to shoot some of the Hornady custom ammunition through this thing with the interlock bullets. Because if it doesn't shoot that, you need to sell the gun or get a new barrel or something. Sure enough, I tried some 140s, and that thing grouped like a cloverleaf. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's, it still holds true today. If it won't shoot, you know, kind of our conventional uh, speed ammunition with an interlock bullet, then, yeah, <laughs> you need a new gun. So or see your gunsmith. So they've taken high technology... Um, and these guys are brainiacs, uh, very smart. But what's really cool is some of the stuff was basically by accident. And um, when I say that, it's transitioning from some of these rounds that Neil talked about today were for competition shooters. Transo transition over to whitetails. And, oh, by the way, let's try this in this slug or this yeah, muzzleloader bullet or this, you know, hot uh, six round. Fascinating stuff. But, I mean, I'd be remiss to also not point out the fact that, you know, our, our ownership, which is still a family-owned company. I mean, I can walk down the hall, talk to Steve uh, anytime That's I want. Awesome. Jason's right next door. And, you know, they're, they're really good about allowing people to be creative with some of this new product development. And they're shooters, they're hunters, they're consumers of the product themselves. So it, it's fun, and we have, a, we have a great culture here of people that participate in everything we do. And uh, so a lot of the products that we've come out with are things that we would just like to have for ourselves. And and because you're all hunters, yeah, too. yeah, hunters and shooters. But <laughs> and the six five Creedmoor. Sorry to, it's not necessarily a dead horse, but I knew it was going to be something. And you can always tell when something is going to be a hit. We've had we've done plenty of cartridge introductions and product introductions. Some are home run hits, some are base hits, some are grand slams, and you know some kind of got throughout at first, but. You can always tell when something's going to be a hit when you go up and down the hallway and people all have one of these. That's pretty awesome. And there was, you know, six, five Creedmoors all over the place. It's like, okay, this is a gun guy's cartridge. 
and it took off. So that was that was interesting. Okay, so let me wa- wrap this up. How was your deer season last year? I didn't get a chance to ask you. I had a pretty good deer season, all all in. Uh, Here at home, or did you get a tra- travel? I don't travel think in? I shot one in Nebraska, but I did do some traveling. So yeah. Nebraska's awesome. I love it. I it mean, was with uh, Mackenzie, as a matter of fact. Oh, that's right. One of your camera guys, you guys that's here today. You guys were together, weren't yeah. you? Pretty awesome. He got a deer before me, though. That's maybe, yeah. Wow. Yeah, well. With it, a but car. You, but you, he got one with a car. Yeah. I wasn't going to bring it up. I didn't want to embarrass him. Um, and, and Mark Kaiser was out there with you guys. Yeah. Uh, we actually have an episode of that, so you guys got to check that out. Saturday Night Deer Camp on Pursuit. Um, it's the two-hour block of Saturday Night Deer Camp leading off with deer and deer hunting neil davies thank you very much my pleasure thank you very uh, much awesome Dan. podcast I, I love hearing about that all, all that stuff um ammo anything ammo related deer hunting ammo related go to hornady.com and uh until next week again every thursday we drop these podcasts they are everywhere a podcast can be downloaded and also the video versions on facebook youtube I don't know. Just go to deerandeerhunting.com and you can find this podcast. And we all we ask you to do, like, subscribe, share, tell your friends, and we're going to overload you with geeky deer stuff. <laughs> we'll catch you next week for another episode of Deer Talk Now. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.